Section 16 of Starlight Ranch and Other Stories of Army Life on the Frontier by Charles King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 3 From the Point to the Plains. Chapter 7 Black Canyon. The red sun is going down behind the line of distant buttes, throwing long shadows out across the grassy upland every crest and billow of the prairie is bathed in crimson and gold while the breaks and ravines trending southward grow black and forbidding in their contrasted gloom far over to the southeast in dazzling radiance two lofty peaks still snow-clad gleam against the summer sky and at their feet dark waves of forest-covered foothills drink in the last rays of the waning sunshine as though hoarding its treasured warmth against the chill of coming night. Already the evening air, rare and exhilarating at this great altitude, loses the sun-god's touch and strikes upon the cheek keen as the ether of the limitless heavens. A while ago, only in the distant valley winding to the south, could foliage be seen. Now all in those depths is merged in sombre shade, and not a leaf or tree breaks for miles the grand monotony close at hand a host of tiny mounds each tipped with reddish gold and some few further ornamented by miniature sentry alert and keen-eyed tell of a prairie township already laid out and thickly populated and at this moment every sentry is chipping his pert querulous challenge until the disturbers of the peace are close upon him then diving headlong into the bowels of the earth a dun cloud of dust rolls skyward along a well-worn cavalry trail and is whirled into space by the hoofs of sixty panting chargers trotting steadily south sixty sunburned dust-covered troopers ride grimly on following the lead of a tall soldier whose kind brown eyes peer anxiously from under his scouting hat it is just as they pass the village of the prairie dogs that he points to the low valley down to the front and questions the plainsman who lopes along by his side. That Black Canyon down yonder? I didn't think you could make it tonight. We had to, is the simple reply, as again the spur touches the jaded flank and evokes only a groan in response. How far from here to the springs? he presently asks again box elder where they found the bodies about five miles sir where away was that signal smoke we saw at the divide must have been from those bluffs east of the spring sir lieutenant lee whips out his watch and peers at the dial through the twilight the cloud deepens on his haggard handsome face eight o'clock and they have been in saddle almost incessantly since yesterday afternoon weighed down with the tidings of the fell disaster that has robbed them of their comrades and straining every nerve to reach the scene only five days before as he stepped from the railway car at the supply station a wagon train had come in from the front escorted by mr lee's own troop his captain with it wounded just as soon as it could reload with rations and ammunition the train was to start on its eight days journey to the spirit wolf where colonel stanley and the mth were bivouacked and scouring the neighboring mountains 
already a battalion of infantry was at the station another was on its way and supplies were being hurried forward captain gregg brought the first reliable news the indians had apparently withdrawn from the road the wagon train had come through unmolested and colonel stanley was expecting to push forward into their fastnesses farther south the moment he could obtain authority from headquarters with these necessary orders two couriers had started just twelve hours before the captain was rejoiced to see his favorite lieutenant and to welcome philip stanley to the regiment everybody seemed to feel that you too would be coming right along he said but phil my boy i'm afraid you're too late for the fun you cannot catch the command before it starts from spirit wolf and yet this was just what philip had tried to do lee knew nothing of his plan until everything had been arranged between the young officer and the major commanding the temporary camp at the station then it was too late to protest while it was mr lee's duty to remain and escort the train philip stanley with two scouts and half a dozen troopers had pushed out to overtake the regiment two hundred miles away forty-eight hours later as the wagon train with its guard was slowly crawling southward it was met by a courier with ghastly face he was one of three who had started from the ruined agency together they met no indians but at box elder springs had come upon the bodies of a little party of soldiers stripped scalped gashed and mutilated nine in all there could be little doubt that they were those of poor philip and his new-found comrades the courier had recognized two of the bodies as those of forbes and whiting the scouts who had gone with the party the others he did not know at all parking his train then and there sending back to the railway for an infantry company to hasten forward and take charge of it mr lee never hesitated as to his own course he and his troop pushed on at once and now worn weary but determined the little command was just in sight of this deep ravine known to frontiersmen for years as black canyon it was through here that stanley and his battalion had marched a fortnight since it was along this very trail that phil and his party pressing eagerly on to join the regiment rode down into its dark depths and were ambushed at the springs from all indications said the courier they must have unsaddled for a brief rest probably just at nightfall but the indians had left little to aid them in forming an opinion utterly unnerved by the sight his two associates had turned back to rejoin stanley's column while he the third had decided to make for the railway unless those men too had been cut off the regiment by this time knew of the tragic fate of some of their comrades but the colonel was mercifully spared all dread that one of the victims was his only son nine were in the party when they started nine bodies were lying there when the couriers reached the springs and now nine are lying here to-night when just after moonrise romney lee dismounts and bends sadly over them one after another the prairie wolves have been here first adding mutilation to the butchery of their human prototypes there is little chance in this pallid light and with these poor remnants to make identification a possibility 
all vestiges of uniform, arms, and equipment have been carried away, and such underclothing as remains has been torn to shreds by the herd of snarling, snapping brutes which is driven off only by the rush of the foremost troops, and is now dispersed all over the canyon and far up the heights beyond the outposts, yelping, indignant protest. There can be no doubt as to the number slain all the nine are here and mr lee solemnly pencils the dispatch that is to go back to the railway so soon as a messenger and his horse can get a few hours needed rest before daybreak the man is away meeting on his lonely ride other comrades hurrying to the front to whom he briefly gives confirmation of the first report before the setting of the second sun he has reached his journey's end and the telegraph is flashing the mournful details to the distant east and so when the servia slowly glides from her moorings and turns her prow towards the sparkling sea nanny mckay is sobbing her heart out alone in her little white stateroom crushing with her kisses bathing with her tears the love-knot she had given her soldier boy less than a year before another night comes around tiny fires are glowing down in the dark depths of black canyon showing red through the frosty gleam of the moonlight under the silvery rays nine new-made graves are ranked along the turf guarded by troopers whose steeds are browsing close at hand silence and sadness reign in the little bivouac where lee and his comrades await the coming of the train they had left three days before it will be here on the morrow early and then they must push ahead and bear their heavy tidings to the regiment he has written one sorrowing letter and what a letter to have to write to the woman he loves to tell miriam that he has been unable to identify any one of the bodies as that of her gallant young brother yet is compelled to believe him to lie there one of the stricken nine and now he must face the father with this bitter news romney lee's sore heart fails him at the prospect and he cannot sleep good heaven can it be that three weeks only have passed away since the night of that lovely yet ill-fated carriage ride down through highland falls down beyond picturesque hawkshurst out on the bluffs though he cannot see them and up and down the canyon vigilant sentries guard this solemn bivouac no sign of indian has been seen except the hoof-prints of a score of ponies and the bloody relics of their direful visit no repetition of the signal smokes has greeted their watchful eyes it looks as though this outlying band of warriors had noted his coming had sent up their warning to others of their tribe and then scattered for the mountains at the south all the same as he rode the bluff lines at nightfall mr lee had charged the sentries to be alert with eye and ear and to allow none to approach unchallenged the weary night wears on the young moon has ridden down in the west and sunk behind that distant bluff line all is silent as the graves around which his men are slumbering and at last worn with sorrow and vigil lee rolls himself in his blanket and still booted and spurred stretches his feet towards the little watch-fire and pillows his head upon the saddle 
Down the stream the horses are already beginning to tug at their lariats and struggle to their feet that they may crop the dew-moistened bunch grass. Far out upon the chill night air the yelping challenge of the coyotes is heard, but the sentries give no sign. Despite grief and care, nature asserts her sway and is fast lulling Lee to sleep when, away up on the heights to the northwest, there leaps out a sudden lurid flash and, a second after, the loud ring of the cavalry carbine comes echoing down the canyon. Lee springs to his feet and seizes his rifle. The first shot is quickly followed by a second. The men are tumbling up from their blankets and, with the instinct of old campaigners, thrusting cartridges into the opened chambers. "'Keep your men together here, sergeant,' is the brief order, and in a moment more Lee is spurring upward along an old game trail. Just under the crest he overtakes a sergeant hurrying northward. "'What is it? Who fired?' he asks. "'Morris fired, sir. I don't know why. He is the farthest outpost up the bluffs.' Together they reach a young trooper, crouching in the pallid dawn behind a jagged parapet of rock, and eagerly demanded the cause of the alarm. The sentry is quivering with excitement. "'An Indian, sir, not a hundred yards out there. I seen him plain enough to swear to it. He rose up from behind that point yonder and started out over the prairie, and I up and fired.' "'Did you challenge?' "'No, sir,' answers the young soldier simply. "'He was going away.' He couldn't understand me if I had. Leastwise, I couldn't understood him. He ran like a deer the moment I fired, and was out of sight almost before I could send another shot. Lee and the sergeant push out along the crest, their arms at ready, their keen eyes searching every dip in the surface. Close to the edge of the canyon, perhaps a hundred yards away, they come upon a little ledge, behind which, under the bluff, it is possible for an Indian to steal unnoticed towards their sentries and to peer into the depths below. Someone had been here within a few minutes, watching, stretched prone upon the turf, for Lee finds it dry and almost warm, while all around the bunch-grass is heavy with dew. Little by little, as the light grows warmer in the east and aids them in their search, they can almost trace the outline of a recumbent human form. Presently the west wind begins to blow with greater strength, and they note the mass of clouds, gray and frowning, that is banked against the sky. Out on the prairie not a moving object can be seen, though the eye can reach a good rifle-shot away. Down in the darkness of the canyon the watch-fires still smolder, and the men still wait. There comes no further order from the heights. Lee, with the sergeant, is now bending over faint footprints just discernible in the pallid light. Suddenly up he starts and gazes eagerly out to the west. The sergeant, too, at the same instant, leaps towards his commander. Distant but distinct, two quick shots have been fired far over among those tumbling buttes and ridges lying there against the horizon. Before either man could speak or question, there comes another, then another, then two or three in quick succession, the sound of firing thick and fast. "'It's a fight, sir, sure!' cries the sergeant eagerly. "'To horse, then, quick!' is the answer, as the two soldiers bound back to the trail. 
Saddle up, men, rings the order, shouted down the rocky flanks of the ravine. There is instant response in the neigh of excited horses, the clatter of iron-shod hoofs. Through the dim light the men go rushing, saddles and bridles in hand, each to where he has driven his own picket pin. Promptly the steeds are girthed and bitted. Promptly the men come running back to the bivouac, seizing and slinging carbines, then leading into line. A brief word of command, another of caution, and then the whole troop is mounted and, following its leader, rides ghost-like up a winding ravine that enters the canyon from the west and goes spurring to the high plateau beyond. Once there, the eager horses have ample room. The springing turf invites their speed. Front into line, they sweep at rapid gallop, and then, with Lee well out before them, with carbines advanced, with hearts beating high, with keen eyes flashing, and every ear strained for sound of the fray, away they bound. There's a fight ahead. Someone needs their aid, and there's not a man in all old B-troop who does not mean to avenge these new-made graves. Up a little slope they ride, all eyes fixed on Lee. They see him reach the ridge, sweep gallantly over, then with ringing cheer turn in saddle, wave his revolver high in air, clap spur to his horse's flank, and go darting down the other side. Come on, lads! Aye, on it is, one wild race for the crest, one headland charge down the slope beyond, and they are rolling over a band of yelling, scurrying, savage horsemen, whirling them away over the opposite ridge, driving them helter-skelter over the westward prairie, until all who escape the shock of the onset or the swift bullet in the raging chase finally vanish from their sight. And then, obedient to the ringing recall of the trumpet, slowly they return, gathering again in the little ravine. And there, wondering, rejoicing, jubilant, they cluster at the entrance of a deep cleft in the rocks, where, bleeding from a bullet wound in the arm, but with a world of thankfulness and joy in his handsome face, their leader stands clasping Philip Stanley, pallid, faint, well-nigh starved, but, God be praised, safe and unscathed. End of section 16